0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from them the spring of water, of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, The detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is God's Word. Sorry
1: about that. You may be seated. Uh, Well, once again, my name is Eric Stites, uh, and I, I really do count it a privilege to stand before you and preach, and so I wanna thank you for that opportunity. I do wanna let you know one thing has changed uh, since the staff retreat, and that's Ted's name, uh, but I'm gonna let you ask him about that. Um, it's pretty funny, so ask Ted about his new name. Um, well, I, I wanna begin uh, this morning by, by just telling you a short story. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I, we, we went on a cruise a couple of years ago, uh, and our first night uh, we get there we're sitting in this amazing restaurant, and I was determined that I was going to eat as much as I possibly could, because that's what you do when you go on a cruise. you pay to be able to eat forever. Um, well, the only problem was, as I sat down and I was in this restaurant with windows all around me, unfortunately, it was already dark outside. So what I was hoping would be light streaming in and this beautiful being able to look out over the horizon, I couldn't see anything. It was dark. Well, here's the other problem: is um, as the boat was churning through the Atlantic Ocean, um, the boat was just waving side to side uh, like this. And um, the third problem, you know, is coming. I get seasick, Uh, and so as I am uh, sitting there, beginning to just feel terrible, um, I I stand up, I get up, and I take a loaf of bread with me because apparently eating some bread is what helps you in these times. And I walk outside. So I walk around on this huge deck. The only problem is is it's still dark. All I can see is darkness. The only only thing I might be able to see are the massive waves crashing into the side of the boat and the white caps on top of them, but I can't see anything. You see, when you get seasick like me, the horizon can be your best friend. Because amidst the, the lurching of the boat from side to side, if you can have one constant thing to look at, Uh, To focus all of your attention on, to stare at, uh, the chaos that's around you uh, can go away. But I didn't have any of that. The the sun was down, so it was dark. And in the darkness, I couldn't see the horizon. And without the horizon, I was utterly lost. I I needed vision. I I needed vision to reorient my life, to reorient my mind to that horizon so I could see what was constant and be able to see where we were going. The purpose of this morning is for for us to cast vision uh, for what we hope to see God do at New City Holden Heights. It's to set our eyes upon that horizon, to set our course and to begin to journey towards where we feel God is calling us. That being said, I know that most of us here are are here. We're at Central, and and so I don't want you to tune me out just because this is a, a vision for something that might not involve you directly, because it does involve you. It involves you very deeply. Well, simply put, a vision is beginning with the end in mind. That's vision. You can think of it this way. Sometimes before you read a book, you turn to the last part of the book, the last couple of chapters, and you read it, and you say, hey, that was worth, worth it. I think I want to read the rest of the book. Well, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and chapter 21 is pretty darn close to the end. And so when we read this, Vision that God is giving us—you will see that the vision Revelation twenty-one gives us is one that's worth believing, and giving our entire lives to. It's a vision that gives us light so that we can see that horizon, and we can set our weary eyes upon it. So the big idea from this uh, from this passage is, is simply this: our future reality gives us the hope that we need in our present reality. So in light of that, and and as we cast vision for Holden Heights, here's the outline for this morning. It's really simple. First, we have the first city, our present reality. Second, the new city, our future reality. And finally, the colliding cities, our present and future hope. So to begin, we start at the first city, our, our present reality, If you look at our passage, uh, the word first comes up several times. The writer tells us in verse one, if you look at it, that at some point in the future, the what? The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then at the end of verse four, he tells us again that the former things have passed away. Well, the literal translation of that word former would again be first. The first things have passed away. And so that's why this point for this morning is the first city, our present reality. Because you see, everybody agrees that the first heaven, the first earth, the first thing, that this is sin and the effects of that sin. So our, our present reality is that we live in a place that is characterized by those first things. Now for, for Holden Heights, I wanna break that down for us. I, I think there's two categories of sins. There's sins done by the community And there's sins done against or to our community. So to start first, the sins done by the community. Well, if you look at verse 8, it gives us a nice list of them. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. This is the obvious stuff, right? You see, in our neighborhood, it's so easy to see that sin because, honestly, it's just out there. We don't, we, we don't shy away from it. You see murder and prostitution, drug and alcohol abuse, violence, crimes, and so on. You, you can just see it coming out from everywhere. Uh, you feel the heaviness of that sin when you drive in. Why is that? Because you can see it. I can see the crime tape that's up. I can see the prostitute, and I can drive by the strip club on OBT. I can see the drug addict and the alcoholic sacrificing it, the altar of another empty bottle or that empty syringe. I can see the palm reader and the psychic preying on people. I can see the hardness of young men and women trying to maintain a certain image of themselves. Now listen, I don't want to make light of those things, but they're easy to identify. Even in our own neighborhood, we know we have those problems. We don't need you to tell us. We know they're there. But what I also want us to see and I want to spend some time here is that There is also sin that's been done against our community. What am I talking about? Well, again, you can look and turn your attention to verse 8. Because as of right now, we haven't even talked about the the cowardly, the the faithless, or the liars yet. Everyone, again, agrees that these are people who say they are one thing. They identify themselves one way, uh, but they do something different. Titus 1 would put it like this. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Listen, Martin Luther King pointed out this cowardly and faithless living in his letter from a Birmingham jail. Now, if you're not familiar with this letter, um, this was a letter that that King wrote sitting in a jail cell. And he wrote it to clergy, fellow clergy, brothers in the faith, who were pointing their finger at him saying, What are you doing? What you're doing is unwise, and it's not the right time right now. And so as he heard these um, accusations against him, he writes a a long letter, and I'm only reading just a few excerpts from it, but but hear what he has to say. He says this, We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, uh, but for the appalling silence of the good people. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say, those are social issues. With which the gospel has no real concern. And so he continues on and and concludes I must honestly reiterate that the church has disappointed me. You see, there was a time, he says, when the church was very powerful, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. The Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man, small in number. They were big in commitment. But then he says, things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. Okay, now I know at this point I may have lost some of you. You might be mad at me. You might have no idea what I'm talking about. But but in case I've lost you, I want to take one second to show you that this is not just 1960s civil rights kind of thinking, but this is biblical people of God kind of thinking. You see, the more you read the Bible, uh, the more you'll see that these themes of justice and oppression and poverty and suffering are all over the place. You see that God cared deeply for those in society who were cast aside, the orphan, the widow, the poor wanderer, those who experienced oppression, because it was often the same group of people. Now we need to see that part of the first things that characterize a place like Holden Heights are the sins done against the community. Now again, if you're not with me, I just want to go to the Bible and, and, and let it show us the truth. In Isaiah 10, Isaiah tells us this, Woe to those who turn aside the needy from justice and rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. Okay, I know you're thinking, but listen, Eric, I, I haven't actually done any of those things directly. I, I don't have any widow's stuff in my house or in my pocket. I've, I've never made an orphan my, my prey, literally. And I understand that. You're saying, what, what's the deal? Well, listen to what Isaiah also says in the first chapter. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice, plead the widow's cause. These are these are action words. Isaiah is, is telling us that even when you weren't a part of the beginning of the sin, as the people of God, you are called to bring an end to that sin. And so these are all actions that Martin Luther King saw the church not doing. And there are so many more passages that we could talk about that we don't have time for, but I want us to see and let, us, let this show us that a place like Holden Heights exists in part because the church has failed. We have failed as the people of God. Isaiah is telling us so. And we have to recognize at some level that injustice and oppression have occurred in the neighborhood of Holden Heights. And they've even occurred on the level of, of racial prejudice. I mean, our neighborhood is built on the other side of Division Avenue. Do I really have to ask what that means? Our our neighborhood knows what that means. And so standing by doing nothing is an example of that cowardly and faithless living that Revelation 21 is telling us about. Many of us, including myself in this room, we've sinned by doing nothing. And that's a part of the first things. So so to summarize this first point, the the first city, our present reality, the place where we live, has been characterized by these first things— The sins done both by our community and the sins done against our community and the effects of all of that. So that's where we are now. We're on that boat like I was, waves crashing into us, and the darkness is preventing our eyes from seeing that horizon. We need to see that horizon. Well, this moves us to our second point. The the new city, our future reality. The new city, our future reality. What is this place going to be like? That's that's the question we have to answer. That place that we see on the horizon, is it a place even worth going to? Well, I hope by the end of this short uh, point that you'd, you'd, you'd come to the conclusion that you'd be crazy to not want to end up in this place. And why is that? Well, I think the passage tells us two big things. First, it tells us that God is with us Listen, the significance of this can't be said enough. This is the promise that the entire Bible has been looking forward to. And here, finally, in the new city, the one that is to come, God is with us. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's good news right there. And the word that's being translated as dwell is, is literally the word for tabernacle. So you could say the tabernacle of God is with man. He will tabernacle with them. Now, this is the same tabernacle that we've heard from the Old Testament. It's that place where God's special presence would dwell in the midst of his people. But his presence was guarded. He is holy and his people are not. No one could just walk in there and chat with God, Only certain people could go in where God specifically was, and even then, they could only do that once a year. So that the people were always reminded that though God's presence was close, they couldn't just go in and touch him. They couldn't see him directly. Well, not so in the new city, right? God will be with his people. That's what this passage is telling us. Look at how many times the word among appears just in this verse. Three times. That word has to do with location, He's among his people. His presence will be real and tangible. You see, before, the people only had a shadow of his presence. Before, God's presence came in the form of the smell of incense or the taste of unleavened bread or the blood that was on the altar. But now, in the new city, people will be able to look upon God himself. No longer is God just dwelling in a house among them, Now the walls of the house have been broken down and there's nothing between you and God in the new city. You won't have to knock on the front door to get in. There won't be a front door. He'll be there with you. Now I don't care if you're in College Park or Baldwin Park or Thornton Park or whatever park or you're in Holden Heights. We need God's presence. And we need this good news. And because God is with us, the passage actually tells us a second thing too about this new city, that sin will be far from us. In one sense, I could tell you that what makes the new city new is just that the old stuff is gone, that the first things aren't there anymore. All the sin and the effects of sin that we talked about in that first point, they're just not there anymore. Well, again, I don't care what trial that you're going through right now, whether it's small or large, verse four should give you immense hope. Look at verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That word wiped away means literally obliterate or, or blot out. You see, God in the new city is going to take away the ability to cry. You won't have tear ducts in the new city. Let's just put it that way. But more importantly, it's not that you just won't have tear ducks, it's that you won't have a reason to cry in the new city. Last week, Ted said eventually there will come a time when we don't have to repent of our sin. This is a picture of that time. The tears that you've shed because of your own sin and the tears that you've shed because someone has sinned against you will be no more. It won't be possible to cry for those things because the sin that is there is gone. One of my jobs, I think, as a pastor in, in Holden Heights... Um, is to ask people to dream. Now, before you get mad at me um, or think I'm new age in any way, know that what I'm actually saying there is to ask them this. What would it look like if the kingdom of God invited your life and your neighborhood? What would it look like if the sin and the sin done against you were not there anymore? What would your life look like? Now, when you go home from here, I, I want you to think about those two questions. Uh, This afternoon and throughout the rest of this week. So write those down. But but right now, in the meantime, I I want us to consider the answers to those questions as they apply to Holden Heights and to our neighborhood and to the vision that we are hoping to cast. In the new city, not one more woman will have to sell her body on Orange Blossom Trail, either to make ends meet or to fill an addiction to drugs. In the new city, the struggle for freedom from addiction to drugs and alcohol that has left so many homeless in our neighborhood will finally be over. In the new city, not one more man will give up his role as father and husband, and not one more woman or her children will be left defenseless and beaten down. In the new city, not one more child will wonder whether selling drugs is the only way out. In the new city, every one of God's children will have a place to lay her head. In the new city, my own cowardly and faithless living won't hurt my brothers and sisters. In the new city, there will be no poor among us. In the new city, there will be no more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I wish I was in Holden Heights right now, because I know someone would agree with me. Listen, we've talked about the first city, our present reality and we've talked about the new city, our future reality, that's off in the distance, and it gives us hope. But in between, it feels like there's a missing piece, right? The disconnect that we feel between this present reality and, and where we're going is so overwhelming. But that brings us to our final point, which is the colliding cities, our present and future hope. You see, when the future is so bright, It can make our present circumstances feel even darker. What do we do with all this? When you see just how great the future is going to be, it can make you just want to give up right now. For some of us, it might make us want to pull up the covers, draw the shades, and just sink into a depression. I'll just wait until God brings that new city, because the city that I live in right now is so far from that, I can't even look at it. It just makes me sad. Well, if that's how you feel Revelation 21 does offer you hope. Look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Conquerors, that's battle kind of language. That's war kind of language. And the ones who conquer are the ones who are now bearing fruit from the gospel and are fighting. But But we aren't fighting to get God to love us. We're fighting evil because God loves us. And when we bear the fruit of the gospel as the body of Christ, that fruit begins to look like the new city. I want to say that one more time. When, when we bear the fruit of the gospel as the body of Christ, that fruit starts to look like the new city. Those are the conquerors, the ones that are bearing fruit. So to apply this, I, I would ask, what does it look like to be a conqueror? Well, for some of my neighbors in Holden Heights, it's, it's conquering all those things I just talked about, right? It's conquering that addiction to alcohol and drugs. It's, it's a man conquering his anger. So instead of acting violently toward his neighbor, he can settle his disputes in truth and love. It's a young man conquering that peer pressure to feel like the need to fit into the street life. You get the point. It goes on and on from there. For us, the, the application of conquering sin is, is conquering that sin that's done by our community, but I want to push us a little bit farther. Because for some of us in this room, being a conqueror looks like all of those things and some more. I'm going to read a few passages that talk about gospel fruit. But this is fruit that we don't talk about that much. There are so many passages that I could turn to. Um, so I want you to know that really these are such a small portion of, of, of what the Bible talks about with this fruit. Each one of these could be its own sermon. Uh, but, but listen to, to these passages that tell us this is what the fruit of the gospel looks like. James 1.27 tells us this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Wow, that's pretty simple. 50% of the fruit that we bear as believers is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Who are the fatherless in your life that that you know of their story, how they got there, and and you're making it a priority to be the father or mother in their life? What widow, and and remember that she doesn't have to be old. We have lots of young widows in our neighborhood. What, What widow are you fighting for? Acts 4.34 tells us this. There was not a needy person among them. What of your own treasure, your own resources are you using in order to eliminate poverty from among God's people? What of your own resources are you using to alleviate poverty to everyone that you encounter? That's gospel fruit. Isaiah 58 tells us, Pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. What selfish desire of yours would you rather spend yourself on, rather than those who have been broken down by life? Ephesians two fourteen tells us, for he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one. And it's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Listen, this is a passage about race and ethnicity. There's no other way to cut it. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. But through Christ they were made one. Where is the dividing wall of hostility between races still built in your own life? And and are you putting yourself in a position where that wall can be broken down? Galatians 2.10 tells us, this is Paul, he says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Do you have so much going on in your life that you don't even know that the poor exist? Is there an eagerness in your heart to see that poverty eliminated? All right, and finally, one more. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 tells us this. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So to use Revelation 21's terms, are you a coward or a liar? One who says he is one thing, identifies himself as one thing, but by his actions is something different. I first of all want you to know that I'm asking myself all of those same questions. So I know that feels heavy. But listen, at this point, if, if you were to walk out of here just hearing that, you'd be in trouble. The first time I heard all of those things uh, that the Bible talks about poverty, injustice, and race and so on, I was overwhelmed. What do you do with all of that? I wanted to be a conqueror like Revelation 21 talks about, but I felt powerless. Well, if we turn back to our passage once again, uh, we'll see that there is something that we need before we become conquerors. There is a missing piece. Look at the end of verse 6. It says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What's the missing piece? It's water living water. The last time I checked, a tree doesn't grow without water, and if the tree doesn't grow, then the fruit on the tree doesn't grow. You can't bear the fruit, all this fruit that we're talking about right now, unless you have this living water. And that living water is given by Jesus himself. You can't put a price tag on that water because the price is too high The price of the water was to live in perfect obedience to God, to experience the wrath of God for our sins and death, and then to rise again from the dead victoriously over all of that. That's the price, and it has been paid. That's what Revelation 21 tells us. Not in part, but in full. And then our call to worship says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Are you thirsty? Well, come. The only way we become conquerors then is by returning to this water. If, if you try to conquer, which I have done this in my own life, without that water, you'll burn out. You won't bear fruit, and we won't look like the new city. At the same time, if you're one of my neighbors in Holden Heights that's dealing with addiction or violence or prostitution or whatever, you get to come to the same water. And and if you're sitting here and you're not bearing the fruit of defending the fatherless and the widow or correcting oppression or remembering the the poor, you come to the same water. It's the same water. And see, this is the collision of those two cities, is that, that Jesus has already come, and he's made payment for that living water. And it's only, only, only with that water that we become conquerors and can bear fruit that looks like that new city. I want to conclude um, this morning with the the end of the story that I started at the beginning of the sermon with with me on a boat, uh, disoriented, feeling sick, all because I couldn't see in the dark and I couldn't see the horizon. The story goes on, though, because the next morning, still not feeling well, I was out on the deck before the sun was up. And, And when I first got out there, it was dark, I still couldn't see the horizon. But all of a sudden, I saw that that first sliver—you know what I'm talking about—of the sun uh, rising over the horizon, and and light exploded across the water. And with that light, I could finally see the horizon. I had vision. Well, Jesus coming and making payment for that living water is that breaking of the dawn by the sun's light. We know for certain that He will make all things new in the new city that—that is our future reality but we also have vision right now. We know where we are in this first city and that we are living in a collision. We're living in that collision between those two cities. And in that collision, Jesus taught us to pray for heaven to come to earth, for that fruit of the gospel to be, to be born in us, for the things in the neighborhood of Holden Heights to be more and more like they are in the new city. So won't you pray with me right now? For that. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you because your name is holy. Uh, Father, we praise you and ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Father, all the ways in which we want to see the kingdom come, God, we know that it is up to you. And God, we submit ourselves to you and ask humbly that you I would bring your kingdom uh, through us. Jesus, thank you uh, for paying the payment for the water of life. God, would we come to you thirsty for that water, whether uh, for the first time or whether for the thousandth time, would we come to you thirsty. And God, would you make us then conquerors through what Jesus has done. God, that we would not try to do these things out of our own strength, but would return again and again and again to that spring of the water of life. And God, would you then move through us, bring your kingdom through us, Father, that we might bear fruit that looks like the new city. We pray all this in Jesus' name.